Hey, this is the Jazz Violin Podcast, episode 40, and today I'm chatting with Mario Forte. It's a good one, that, isn't it? Thanks so much for joining me today on the Jazz Violin Podcast. Uh, first things first, as always, if you would like to support the podcast, uh, you can do so via you can do so via Patreon. That's www.patreon.com forward slash Matt Holborn. It's a way that you, the listener, can support me, the content creator. Uh, you know, with as little or as much as you would like in a monthly payment. Uh, yeah, and it's just a way that you can help me out if you feel like it's something that you want to do. It's actually only if you want to do it. You don't have to do it, just if you want to. It's also a place that you can get involved with my Jazz Violin Practice Club, which is basically like my practice motivation sessions, in a way, where we meet up every week and uh, play through exercises, practice uh, different techniques for improvising and for sort of learning jazz language etc etc okay enough of that today i'm chatting to mario forte who is an absolutely outstanding musician someone whose music doesn't prescribe i would say to any particular genre and is able to bridge a lot of gaps in different styles of improvised music hopefully i've uh, that's a decent way of describing him he's a really really amazing charismatic musician and someone who i think is known by most violinists on the scene uh yeah there you go mario forte please give it up for mario forte so yeah thanks Thanks so much for chatting to me, man. You're welcome. Thanks for inviting me. Where are you based at the moment? So since I, I just landed in France, but um, uh, I come from France originally. I mean, I spent my childhood and uh, I did my studies in France. Um, huh. I've been, uh, I moved in 2015, uh, first in Mexico, but then uh, I established myself in New York in 2016. Hmm. And uh, since COVID-19, I've been back and forth between New York and Europe. Mm. And uh, right now I'm in Europe for until August because I have some work to do, actually recording uh, things. And I'm planning uh, from next year to be half-half between New York and, and Europe because I'm starting new projects now in Europe with a new booking agency and new people, new things. So I'm going to be forced to spend uh, some more time in Europe, which is also good for me because my parents still live here. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm happy to see them more often. And because I also passed through um, during a few years uh, a New York life, which was full of interesting and exciting things, but also full of mess and pain sometimes as new york can be so okay. a balance between being on the old and the new continent sounds a good one for me yeah <laughs> nice did you say you're born in france actually not uh, i'm born uh, in clemson which is a city in algeria north africa yes okay okay but you grew up in france actually to, to make it short uh concerning where i'm from uh, I'm born in Algeria, but I grew up um, in France, and I've been raised by an adoptive family, and they are Italian. Ah, okay. So I have a French passport and an Italian passport, and uh, due to the fact that the people who adopted me are Italian, and I got, let's say, the culture and the vibe of both of those countries, France and Italy. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, that's interesting. 
Is that your name? Your name, Mario? Is that is that that's Italian, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. And Forte is uh, a Sicilian name. My dad is from Sicily. Ah, nice, great. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you speak both French and Italian? I do, and I also speak fluently Spanish because actually in in United States the main language I use is Spanish, uh, not that much English, due to the fact that even though I I I speak in English to someone most of the time in New York they reply to me in Spanish due to my face due to the vibe you know right. in France where or you're French or you you're from Africa somehow because the immigration is history is that and um, in US usually or English or Spanish yes, <laughs> you know okay amazing mm -hmm. um you grew where about in France did you grow up in the south, um, it's a region called Le Gard. Mm -hmm. um, it's um, some famous cities there. It's like Nîmes, Montpellier. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. It's right the south. It's about an hour from the Mediterranean Sea. And this is where my family lives. But uh, I moved in Paris pretty young and I lived in Paris for 10 years. Yeah. Do you have a, do you come, is it a musical family? Actually, not at all. Mm, okay. No, in, in my in my family, my dad was a ex, expert uh, accountant, and uh, my mom was a school teacher. who actually never could even work into that in France. But um, no, they they are not musicians and artists in my family at all. But they are Italian, and what I mean by that is that they have a, a certain sensibility to classical music, especially to opera. For example, when I was a kid, um, my mom was singing to me before going to sleep. Opera, Verdi, melodies, you know, and uh, instead of pop song or, you know, they have this culture of classical music. Yeah, okay, I see. Um, oh, would, you, mm. would you characterize that as being an Italian, an Italian trait then to be? To... A, a bit, a bit in the sense that... Um, if I just make a, a generality, um, yeah. a, a medium class Italian family and compared to a medium class French family, uh, you have a little more uh, of this, uh, this aspect, this culture of uh, opera and classical music in Italy that you might have in France. But of course, it's a generality, it depends on who. Of course, yeah, I know you're generalizing. I'm sure, hopefully people don't say that personally. But I, I just think it's mm -hmm. interesting. I, I actually would have, I wouldn't, I would have thought the other way around um, because my, well, I don't know. I don't know why I would have thought the other way around. I've got, I've got some French family myself <laughs> and they're all quite music. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I would have thought the other way around. I thought that it'd be more like in France, people would be more into uh, sort of uh, cultural music, like like classical music or, or actually, things. Actually, I think that the way you, you're saying that is right, but in the in the sense that in France they might be more into um, how you say consumerism of classical music. They will go to opera. They will go to put the kids to the conservatoire. They will yeah. go to uh, some concerts. Not saying that in Italy they would go that often, mm. but they have it in their culture. It's like uh, in, in yeah. United States with the fact that there is. A bunch of people, most of people, they don't know about jazz, but everyone knows over the rainbow. <laughs> everyone knows a bunch of jazz standard because they come from, America. you know, a music hall uh, stuff. And um, so it's it's here, it's present. Uh, but in fact, it could be true that for social cultural reasons, French people uh, go more to, you know, listen mm. to symphonic music or stuff like that. Yeah, because I mean, I'm, you know, I'm being from the UK. It's not the case. Mm -hmm. we're, we're we're not. I don't think we have that culture in the UK. The UK is very much not that. Maybe similar mm. to America in that way. It's not. It's not like yeah, when, of course. Like uh -huh. when you said middle, you said like you were talking about the middle class. I don't want to get too much into class because I don't know much about it. But talking about the middle class, your average mm -hmm. family, they don't what they they don't want to listen to classical music. Mm -hmm. Maybe your grandmother likes. Mm -hmm. who, what's that German violinist guy who plays like? With and everyone dresses up, Andre Ryu. Maybe yes, your maybe your grandmother. Maybe my ah, grandmother. <laughs> maybe if you're from the UK, <laughs> grandmother likes Andre Ryu or whatever, however you say it. But in general, uh, yeah. yeah, no, not really. 
Yeah, because because he's more a kind of pop popular musician more than a classical musician. So of course, of yeah. Course. Sorry, I need to turn this my phone off because it's making sounds. Um, it's just nice that people call me sometimes, isn't it? Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be interesting to know how you got into playing music. Then, if you didn't come from a a musical family, so to speak. Well. Uh, so, in fact, since uh, they were Italian and had a certain sensitivity to classical music, they wasn't playing or listening that much of music, but they had a piano at mm. home. Uh, they, they they weren't using it. But when I was three years old, I was already with this family. And, uh, and all the toys they were buying for me, I wasn't using them. I was only going to the piano yeah. and playing with this instrument. So basically, they just thought, oh, that, that kid seems to be interested about sound, about the piano. And they, they they put me at the music school and I started with piano. But after a few classes, uh, my teacher figured out I had a good ear. And uh, because of that, she thought, oh, he could play violin. It's not an easy instrument, but he has a good ear. And uh, who knows, if one day he make it as a job, it's going to be easier for him because he can bring the instrument with him mm. because she was a piano player and probably she was so tired of being a pianist who never can travel with her instrument. And yeah. uh, I'm thankful to her of that because, in fact, I'm happy to be able to put my violin you know, on the back and just go. Mm. So. And you, so you stu- did you study classical, classical stuff? Yes, mainly. Uh, I've been mainly into that. Um, and... Uh, and I even um, kept being into that after I, I met jazz music. Um, my meeting with jazz music was a kind of accident, which is that when I was 16 years old, I met DJ Lockwood and DJ uh, has been kind to me. Yeah, He offered me to come to, to his place as he did with a few players, um, with a bunch of violinists actually. And I've been there meeting him and, I wasn't into jazz, but I had a huge uh, connection with rhythm. Um, and because of that, uh, it became kind of obvious to be, I mean, to play jazz music because my feeling with rhythm, my connection with everything was rhythmical, was strong. Uh, what do you mean by your connection with rhythm? I, I mean, my strongest point always has been rhythm more mm. than harmony. Okay, yeah. And and groove and and yeah, rhythmical stuff. That's something who talks to me and always have been talking to me very naturally, spontaneously. Hmm. And because of that, um when I met jazz, I met something who were familiar to me, but on that territory especially. Yeah, that's interesting because I think that you know, you can be into I was talking, I think actually when I spoke to someone, if you know Tim Cliffus, he was talking about, you know, people, he thinks that most people have have some sort of musical talent, you know, deep down somewhere, but, you know, it's often they maybe aren't met with the the right sort of music at the right time, you know, maybe they're, maybe they, they're, Mm -hmm. they're shown only classical music and they own, and they have real sense of groove and that's where their talent lies. And that can sometimes mean mm. that they don't fall in love with music in the same way. Um, so that's interesting mm-hmm. that you, that, yeah. That, I guess that I, I agree with what you're with with what he says, and I and I and I see what mm. you're saying. And I've listened to you play as well, um, and I think I can hear that that you've got a lot of rhythm and groove seems to be quite important in your in your sound mm. and in your playing. Um, mm-hmm. What uh, what so when you first start you first you first got into jazz by meeting with didier lockwood you hadn't listened to jazz before that or tried to play it no not at all not at all um Mm -hmm. and what what was that like then i liked i was so enthusiastic because i saw someone using the violin in a different way Mm. Uh, and because the fact that he was playing jazz and as you know when you start to play jazz you also start to put uh 
a step in a completely other musical territory, which is not only jazz, but all kind of black music or funk and whatever. Even yeah. you get to, to get interested about pop. As you know, when sometimes you grew up into classical music, you strangely don't listen to anything else or you're not into anything else. And as soon as you get into jazz, you start also to discover everything else, uh, even electronic music or whatever. So yeah, the fact to be able to use the violin differently um, that was extremely, uh, you know, I was very enthusiastic of that by, in my meeting with Didier. And then uh, then things went pretty fast into my curiosity to listen and play other things. And what was, how you know, this, this uh, before this time you hadn't played jazz, had you improvised with your, with, with instruments before, like with a piano or with a violin? Had you improvised? So actually, Kind of, yes, in the sense that I always had a feeling for improvisation. Even when I was 13, I was having fun on improvising with my violin or piano uh, on top of CDs that my mom was listening. Hmm. So, yeah, I had that that something, but I was doing it uh, as I could. I mean, not, not a big deal. Yeah. Mm. And one, so once you started to get into uh, into playing jazz, what was uh, you know who were some of your influences? Um, well, well, I've been listening to to jazz through a bunch of saxophone players, from Charlie Parker to, let's say, to Chris Potter, mm. and everyone in between. Um, I've been listening to what kind of everyone has been listening to, especially all the Miles Davis music from the first recordings until until the last, all the experimental stuff, just kind of everything of these very well-known jazz musicians who, who has made the, the jazz history. And then also I got interested about listening other things. I also need to mention that even though through Didier I started to discover jazz, and like it and play it and listen to it. I also had, when I was 16, another musical, important musical meeting, which was with flamenco musicians, because ah. I was still at that time living in South of France. Yeah. And South of France, it's um, um, for geographic reasons, um, connected to Spain. Mm. And we do have uh, a few gypsies, flamenco gypsies. So I started to play flamenco music also, which was again, a strong uh, connection through rhythm, uh, some improvisation, because I was free to improvise on this music. To, I never had a score. I mean, gypsies don't tell you what you have to play. You just blow it. And um, so, yeah. Hmm. How does the violin... So you're playing, you're playing violin uh, in flamenco. How does the violin fit in, in flamenco? I've always, I've always wondered how, how to make that work, because I love flamenco music as well. Um, mm. uh, especially the like the progressive stuff, but I always wonder how how the violin can fit into it. I've never really understood the form a lot of the time of of mm -hmm. flamenco music. Um, yeah, and, and the trick is there, is in the, into the form. But you get it after you know playing flamenco is compared to what we are doing in our days with institutions and music schools, which is that we start to learn uh, jazz music uh, uh, in a a bit, I would say, um, um, artificial way, in my opinion, because, uh -huh. you know, uh, learning jazz in the music school is like a artificial insemination to make a baby, uh, <laughs> meaning it works technically, but concretely, guys, the way the results sound is never the same that the way a guy who, who, who is play. you know, there is some music and jazz, I think, is one that you're not... A, a real jazz musician because you want it. It just happened. I think it's a beautiful accident and it should keep being. So of course you can love it and uh, try to develop it, but it's still a kind of accident. And, uh, and flamenco, it's something, um, when you meet flamenco, you actually get into the flamenco world, meaning you just, you just don't play certain sentences and certain form of music. You stick around gypsies all the time. You drink with these guys. You eat with these guys. You sleep at their house. You make party with them. You dance flamenco. You play cajon. You play palmas. 
which is the clapping mm-hmm. and you and eventually if it happened that you are a violinist you're gonna play with your violin into it but uh, that's another accident because um actually when i started playing with some serious flamenco musicians they asked me to do palmas so i was palmero meaning i was yeah. doing all the time yeah those kind of things and um and that was a good way to actually get in flamenco understand the forms and what's happening and after a while i started playing violin on it so personally the way i play violin it's always um i come from a kind of as clean as possible technique something pretty straight i try to to be precise on the notes and on my bowing and my technique it's nothing special it's actually very very classical uh i just put rhythm on it and uh, improvisation and, and vocabulary but the way i use the instrument it, it's pretty traditional um and um and so the way i sound in flamenco it's kind of fusion uh it's kind of uh, you know just like a jazz musician who would be playing with flamenco musicians what i know from some violin players who are into flamenco they actually come from uh, more some kind of oriental music you know arabic yeah. andalus music and so those guys usually play uh, more in a kind of uh, fiddling uh, way mm-hmm. uh, their instrument but they uh, they add to their sound and vocabulary this uh, oriental uh, style so they don't play like the guitarist of flamenco which is virtuoso and, uh, and everything they play more you know yeah i know what you're saying yeah mm. um okay it's interesting what you say about uh you know, learning jazz, an institution being sort of <laughs> the artificial insemination, which I, I really get. And I feel, mm. I, you know, I, I did, I actually studied on a jazz course and it probably wasn't until I left that I suddenly felt that I was starting to really be able to play do jazz. It. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it does feel very stifling. It's good in a lot of ways, but stifling. Why do you think it's different to, why do you think that's different with classical music? Or do you think it's different with classical music? Uh, there is a reason. Uh, a main one, in my opinion. Um, that reason is the fact that uh, actually you don't learn to play classical music. But when we say that you're learning to play classical music, you're only learning how to use technically as good as possible your instrument. Who is teaching you how to play for or Brahms? Of course, there is a bunch of teachers that they think their mission is to tell you uh, bar after bar how you should musically play Brahms Concerto, but it's not happening. You play as the fuck as you want. But technically, uh, they teach you how to play properly, how to have a good bow hold, how to uh, play double stops, scales, this, that. I mean, just everything. And to be able to play in all the fingerboard of your violin as clean, as precise as possible. And this is what we call, uh, I'm learning... Um, classical music at music school when you learn jazz indeed you need some technique to be able to play notes with your instrument whatever which instrument you play but fact is that since you improvise um the amount of notes and the way you're gonna make them sound it's your business no one is expecting you to play in a Paganini way a solo. No, if you don't have the technique to play like Chris Potter on saxophone, that's fine too. You can be a great saxophone player in jazz and not have this uh, this uh, Michael Brecker technique or stuff like that. So here is different because you don't need. Uh, you you have the choice. You have the, you have in, in jazz way more choice and possibilities that you have in classical music. You cannot expect to be a high-level classical violinist and say, okay, I'm going to stop after the third position. First, second, and third position on my fingerboard, it's enough. I'm good. And I'm going to make some career uh, in classical music out of this knowledge. No, for sure it's not going to work. But in jazz, not saying you should do it. Just saying that you can still be a good musician um, with this limitation. Yes. 
So I guess you're talking about it's it's just less less of a stress on technique. Technique is not the the be all and end all in jazz and uh, less of an obligation. Hmm? Less less of an obligation. Yeah. You're not forced to. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm saying that because I I think it's true. But personally, I always practice my instruments to play jazz in the most versatile technical way I could personally because this is my way to do but uh, I can get to the fact that someone with uh, a lower technique can still sounds great into jazz music ah you're making me feel better then that's good <laughs> <laughs> well, why so no 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 I'm talking I'm just uh, yeah. just just so you, you know if, if you don't know loads of Brits we have the self-deprecating humor and we can't well I, I don't want to speak for everybody but I can't help making self-deprecating jokes. And I, I try to stop myself yeah. from doing it, but it just happens <laughs> no, every no, time. No, you should keep going. <laughs> you reckon? Right. Go um, for it. <laughs> uh, what was I going to say? So you, it seems like when you're talking about your uh, your influences, they haven't really been violinists. You haven't, you, when, I, when you've mentioned your, you know, your jazz influences, it hasn't, you've not really mentioned any violinists at all, actually, apart from Didier. Um, is that is that a thing? Well, yeah. You've always you've always looked outside of the violin for jazz. Actually, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, I mean, for two main reasons, I never got into so much jazz violin because I, you know, I love jazz and I love violin. So my love of violin gets fulfilled. <laughs> Usually into classical players, you know, I prefer to listen to to Misha Elman yeah. than speak new Seyfert. And when I want to listen to jazz music, I do prefer listen to John Coltrane than than Didier. Uh, even though I'm not saying one is better, it's different indeed. And as a violinist, I did listen to some jazz violin. I have found it certain things interesting in the way. It was more, I mean, because I was playing jazz with my instrument, but I never felt that thing could be called jazz violin as one thing, as an entity. I always felt, you know, I do play violin and I do like to play jazz sometimes. And uh, so then, because I'm a violinist, I do it with a violin. But it doesn't mean necessarily that I'm playing something called a jazz violin. Yeah. <laughs> That, I mean, that definitely makes sense. And it does, I mean, that's what, that is, that's just music, isn't it? You know, we try to, mm -hmm. often things are, we try and put things in boxes. I guess this podcast is trying to put things in boxes. <laughs> Sometimes you need, you need to put things in boxes if you, <laughs> if you. <laughs> to make it happen. Yes. Yeah. Fact. It's not your fault. It's the fault of that world. Maybe it is my fault. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, yeah. I mean, uh, there, what's interesting is I speak, I've spoken to, loads of violinists you know who play jazz jazz mm. violinists and there's like there are two types of player who you know i don't want to put people in boxes again but mm. especially on this podcast it's like either people heard like grappelli or jean-luc ponty and were like that is what i want to do or they heard jazz and they happen to be a violinist um mm. yeah interesting yeah, of course by the way you just mentioned grappelli let me say that in fact i always loved Stefan Grappelli, the way he sounds and everything. It's not, I always loved this guy and the way he sounds, but it's not neither something I've been listening that much. Yeah, yeah. Um, sometimes. I, I, I mean, he has a nice and shiny vibrato. Mm. He, he has a swing. Uh, I've been listening. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good friend of Mark Feldman, and at the time uh, was in... 2017 until 19 I've been playing a lot with Mark and we were listening to a bunch of things and we have been listening together certain very old things um, actually videos of Grappelli young with Django and stuff yeah it's burning yeah. it's fucking burning and the way Stefan plays violin into it it's it's really burning and clean and uh, bright and uh, it even holds the bow like I fits. it's it's uh, <laughs> unbelievable um, I do like it but I mean it's not because I play jazz with a violin that I'm forced to listen mainly to that as you can understand so yeah, mm. yeah I get you 
Yeah. Mm. So you you do seem to be someone who uh, is your musical focus is is creating new things, right? Am I right? I've, I feel I'm forced to that destiny, hmm. kind of, uh, because, first of all, I think the only meaningful things that people can do is the ones they don't do uh, on purpose, is the one who just come out of who they are hmm. and their path and their story. When you force yourself to be someone you're not, it usually doesn't work. For me, to, for example, say, okay, I'm going to do a pop album. I'm going to be a pop star. It's like if I say I'm going to be a, a, a famous soccer player. <laughs> no, that's clearly not my destiny. Yeah, um, uh, it's, it's over to do such a thing. So I have a path. And in fact, this path and the way I've met music and people and all those things I have done were sometimes very different. I also played and do still play a lot with um, Latin American people, mm-hmm. especially Brazilian. That's one of the music scene I also have connected strongly in New York. In New York, there is a bunch of different scenes uh, I'm part of. There is this kind of post-John Zorn avant-garde improvised music scene uh, where as a violinist, I feel good because in that music, I, I feel I can play music violin like i I do enjoy to do but beside that there is also a more uh, electric and more eclectic uh, groovy uh, music scene um, based in new york with brazilian puerto rican dominican musicians that i hang around with a lot you know Mm -hmm. Um, so in the end yeah i feel that uh, what i can do the best is something pretty multicultural You know, you're talking about um, we should all, you know, we should basically always just try and follow what feels right rather than forcing mm. anything. Have you ever actually tried to force anything? Is there, any, has that ever actually happened to you that didn't work? Probably. I mean, I, I think that the society we live in force us, all of us, to do so. Um, uh, I see a bunch of people trying to do a music. Who is not their music? Is the music of someone else? But just because it's it's the vibe at the moment or something. Mm. Um, and I think it's pretty often, and not only in music, even in who you hang with, what you say, who you love, um, who influence you actually to go there. Uh, is it who you are or something else? And if mm. you start to think a little about that, man, it's shaking. It's um, and interesting. So, personally, I I have been always and not on purpose so much myself. Uh, like I was, I couldn't. Uh, I, when I was younger, it was even hard for me to adapt myself to a situation I don't feel uh, to found myself in. But um, so, in the end, I never truly did you know force myself to do something completely different of who i am but yeah i think there is something will force all of us in that direction yeah yeah it's funny is like as soon as you start to think about it like you know you mentioned that and i'm like you start thinking you know that's a good point you know i wonder if i've ever tried to do that or if i wonder if i do that or if i'm doing that now and as soon as you start thinking about it then you're sort of doing the wrong thing (laughs) (laughs) Forget about it, don't we? If we think about it, <laughs> then you'll easily, yeah, easily go down that path more. Um, so, mm-hmm. your what what you're what you're working on at the moment? I'd be interested to know. So, at the moment, I I do work in a few precisely things. The first one is the fact that I'm going to record uh, in July in the Netherlands a mm-hmm. duo album with a cellist called Ernst Reisiger. Oh yeah, I had him on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you you know him. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, we are recording an album, a uh, duo album together in July, um, which will be released sometimes during fall. Don't know yeah. yet when, because those kind of things doesn't, you know, uh, are not anymore only on our uh, on our power to decide. It depends yeah. on the booking agency. It depends on a bunch of people. It depends yeah. on a bunch of things. We don't have to see with the music. But um, we will release this album sometime soon. And this is what I'm working on right now. And we play a music who is a bit in between a kind of post-Borocco 
uh, strings music and avant-garde uh, energetical improvisation. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, beside that, I also work on something else that I was supposed to record way before. Uh, and then everything jumped up in terms of uh, um, calendar due to COVID-19 because I was recording in New York with a crew of people uh, who are, first of all, Sergio Krakowski, which is a Brazilian percussionist, yeah. um, uh, with who I work since many years, based in New York. And uh, around us, we had uh, Anat Cohen, who is um, a clarinet player, mm. and uh, she's the uh, Avishai Cohen's sister, mm. um, and uh, um, a pianist called Kevin Heiss. Yeah. Um, and uh, also... A harmonica player called Grégoire Marais, who's mm. from originally from Switzerland, also based in New York, but is known for being part of the Pat Metheny group since a while. Yeah, and um, and also a fantastic Indian singer called Varija Shri Venugopal, who is based in Bangalore, India. And mm. um, she's a young rising star. She's known for uh, been doing a kind of buzz with a John Coltrane solo in oh, Indian yeah. style, Us- using Sagam. Mm. Yeah. Oh yeah, way. I've seen that. I've seen that. Yeah. And uh, this is a crew of people uh, that I, I like, especially like in New York, and we 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 did play uh, a few gigs, uh, never all together, but <laughs> usually in trio or quartet. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the moment, uh, everyone is kind of spread all over. Um, which is that Sergio came back to Rio for a little while. Uh, Anat is also in Brazil at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin is uh, in Woodstock, so still uh, in, in East Coast. And and we actually gonna meet again in August. And uh, I also work with a beatboxer rapper who is instead based based in um, in the Netherlands, Andy Nimbal, a Caribbean guy. And so. At the moment, there is a booking agency who is interested on working with me on this project. And so it kind of changed um, exactly with who this album will be made. And the music will be somehow more personal because it's going to be a kind of um, more electric using effects and everything on my violin type of music. Um, So, yeah. And you're writing music for that at the moment or is it? Yes, I do. And uh, and meanwhile, I also uh, prepare a trio album with Matt Wallenberg, which is um, one of the John Zorn guitarists. He's a, a rock metal uh, musician uh, living in New York from Philly. Uh, Matt plus drums plus a drummer. We have been working with uh, Kenny Grohovsky and Jim Black. So it's more that uh, John Zorn scene mm-hmm. musicians. And uh, we also prepare a trio album with, with those those guys. So nice. Okay. Yeah. And not not mentioning some other things I'm doing, uh, actually with a choir, and um, and starting also a, a new trio in Paris in July. I will be playing mid of July with uh, um, Philip Philippe Baden Powell which is a Brazilian pianist and he's the is known for being the son of Baden Powell, you know. Oh, right. That's a guitarist and a French drummer. Mm, nice. Mm. Hey, what's your process yeah. for writing music? Depend what I'm writing. For example, the music I play with Ernst, sometimes it's kind of very traditional type of writing, you know, just uh, music paper and uh, pencil and uh, I write notes. Um, but there is a bunch of improvisation into that. So I like to use usually a, a music score, but who is not actually a music score, a completely blank uh, paper. Mm-hmm. And then I just put the lines wherever I want, because mm-hmm. uh, even visually, I like to spread everything all over. Mm-hmm. Um, this change also the way we read the music. Um, so for this project, it's still kind of, Tradi in the way I compose, but then for the things, for example, that more electronic project, it's a bunch of more post-production, you know, um, uh, process like being on the studio 
and uh, trying a bunch of different things using also keyboards and uh, processing, processing, processing a bunch of things. And we do work by sending each other the files, you know, uh, all over. So everybody's recording something, processing the sound of it, making tries. So there, the writing part is actually pretty little, but uh, the processing the, the files and the productive part, it's bigger. You know, yeah, you're working mm. with sound more than working with, with yeah, and uh, changing actually even everything if we want in terms of form because we have the tracks and uh, we can cut it and put the end at the start or uh, the middle of the end and changing things. Uh, it's not like a, a more traditional, let's say, composition where everyone knows before recording what's the melody and what's the start and what's the end. It's there is more. A, experimentation yeah hmm, interesting. Mm. hey what's what, what have you been practicing recently if you have been practicing at all last last question yeah well practicing um so let me tell you that the way i practice when i practice is just very traditional and uh, i don't have at the moment since i'm working on this composition and production upcoming production time to practice repertoire uh, from time to time, I do practice uh, violin solo repertoire, things I like. Uh, I've been in the past, uh, from time to time, practicing some jazz music. And the way I do it, it's more like uh, transcribing something, blowing around, messing around with it, um, playing with people and playing with even Abersold, uh, you know, uh, backing track at home and just like jamming with myself almost and having fun. And it's a kind of training uh, of phrasing, bop, uh, sentences all over, messing around with it. Uh, but uh, in general, when I cannot spend more than two hours um, per day on my instrument, I just play. Um, I mean, what I do is just focused on trying to be comfortable on my bow old and being comfortable on my, uh, you know, left hand. And so I play very slow scale um, and I work on intonation and sound and control. Um, that's all what I do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that's... that's all what I do. But the, the reason I do this is because whatever type of music I will play tomorrow, I need this. Yeah, I need whatever if I'm going to play classical or jazz or whatever. I need to be comfortable with my instrument personally because I build it myself through this way. I build it my way to play violin through this way. Maybe for some people it can be different. And uh, I know some people would never practice the instrument. And for people who never practice, they sounds not that bad. Uh, and I envy uh, this... Um, sometimes this freedom to be able to just take the, the, the instrument and they blow what they do. And even though what they do, it's limited, but they do it well. You know, it sounds okay. It sounds all right. Um, Are you talking about violinists? Because I, I... Yes. Also viola player or yeah. cello. I mean, those is, yeah, string quartet instrument I'm talking about because, yeah. because I think they are specifically hard. I mean, we all yes. know that. Yeah. Uh, that we... You know, it's not to make any uh, hierarchy, but we all know that uh, it's a bit different for piano or saxophone player. Um, yeah, mm. I, yeah, because basically, I mean, you're about, you you practice, you practice like a violinist is what you do, because that's what we have to do that. We yes. really do, and it's like trumpet players, I think, have to do that. You know, there's some instruments that are yeah. just... You're basically yeah, because then you're fucked with the sound, yeah. Yeah. If you don't work on your technique with the violin at least a little bit regularly, you're you're in trouble, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you're you're in big trouble. And you're especially in big trouble because there is a few people I know they they just don't do it, which is fine. Uh they do it as they want, but in the end, they are being in a situation where they go in studio, they have to play something precise. It's completely out of tune. It's a mess. And, you know, the problem is also that there is a bunch of people who, out of classical music world, they don't know what violin is. And when it sounds out of tune, they don't think it's because the guy is playing badly. They think it's because it's violin. Mm. 
you know, mm-hmm. oh, that's violin, you know, sounds yeah. bad, but that's violin. We're going to figure out. No, no, no. <laughs> mm-hmm. You cannot insult four centuries of violin playing. Uh, violin can sound gorgeously well, but yeah. um, it's a process that uh, no one is forced to do. Uh, I mean, I'm not against someone who doesn't want to practice. My dad doesn't play violin. I still love him a lot. <laughs> you know? So I can love someone who doesn't play violin. It's fine. Yeah. But personally, the way I build myself uh, is through that. So then, yeah, when I play violin, which I do every day at the moment because I'm also uh, getting ready for some upcoming gigs this summer and uh, that recording, I just practice control control to be to have a good vibrato because i do like it to be on tune to be extremely relaxed physically uh, and in my posture to have a good bow hold and this gives me the possibility to play any type of sentences who come out of my mind Mm. good man sounds good sounds similar to me that's all i all i spend my time doing and i'm always finding new problems and realizing new way finding new ways to to change my technique and to or to to make my technique better yeah there is a since you, you're talking about that a trick that they can give you and that we could also interest maybe some people listening to that podcast if they yeah. are violin players which is because i founded this a few years ago and it's working great i use a hand weights this, this kind of fitness hand weights you can find on amazon for 10 bucks and um, um i put it on my uh, right hand and I play 15, 20 minutes of extremely slow scale, uh, huge long walnut uh, with these hand weights. Hand and weight. after that, yeah, absolutely, hand weight. It's kind of, you know, fitness. It's like a glove. Mm-hmm. You have uh, you have uh, uh, weight uh, for fitness things, uh, purpose, and you have those kind of gloves who are mm-hmm. not that heavy, but still, I mean, you can have... Uh, uh like 500 grams half a kilo i don't mm. know in pounds but um and you put this on your hands as a glove your mm. fingers are still out so you can yeah, yeah. you can you know uh, hold the ball no problem but you have this weight on your hand and you play 15 mm. minutes scale of it then you put this out uh put this down and you come back on the bow and you found the bow it's so light and your sound is so big oh really your arm. oh of course do you, it doesn't mean that you're like misfiring it or or anything you know you're meanwhile you're doing you mean yeah i just well, I, I mean i'm just imagining myself getting used to playing with a big weight and then taking it off and it's like would you i'm I mean, no here's the point in 99 percent of the case when you play when you put the, the bow on a violin and you start playing whatever is classical music or jazz, or even especially jazz, when you're playing like, let's say, some fast tempo thing, and you need to be tight with rhythm, yeah, with, with, the, with the time, super tight. But you're not. And mm. sometimes people think it's a, it's a time problem. And actually, it's often a bow problem because mm. if you look at their bow, it's shaking. The bow is shaking all over. Why? Because... What uh, most of jazz violinists doesn't have it's something called the contact point. Yeah. That contact point is super important to, which is to glue the bow on the string. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not a classical thing or a jazz thing. It's just a bow and violin thing. Mm. If your contact point is precise and you have this control, then whatever you're gonna play, you're gonna be tight. Mm. So um, due to uh, due to that, if you work with this. Uh, and wait, it glue. Mm. It help you to 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 consider and to feel and to understand that balance of uh, uh, right arm weight uh, on the bow and on the string. And so, yeah, it's interesting. I it's like an interesting it, man. process to do. And I show that to a bunch of people, and they never came back uh, out of it. They 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 ah. stick around this technique. Yeah. That's very. I like that a lot. Sounds great. I might. I think I'm probably gonna go and buy one now. Get one on yeah amazon. it's a great idea amazon bro <laughs> yeah well man nice to chat to you thank Likewise. you so much for doing this and uh yeah i hope you have uh yeah thank yeah thanks a lot um hope you have You're a good welcome. summer and you manage thank to you become busy 
Yeah, you too. Well, I am in the end, kind of, even though, yeah, we have, of course, a huge break. I'm just saying hi quickly. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I had this on yeah, yeah. <laughs> the whole time <laughs> on video. But uh, yeah, yeah, I'm actually having a, a pretty a pretty busy summer. Less geek than usual, indeed, mm. even though things are reopening. And, and also because I, I kind of changed a bit my plannings, my plans. Yeah. I was used to spend all summer in New York playing a bunch of different gigs there. And this is not what I'm going to do this summer because I'm going to focus more on some personal project, yeah. which is also good. So, yeah, thanks God, things keep going. Nice man. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Nice to nice to chat. See you soon. Okay, Matt. My my pleasure. My pleasure to meet you sometime. Yeah. Goodbye. Hopefully. <laughs> Bye. Ciao. ciao. Hey, thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, I've been chatting to Mario Forte. I've been Matt Holborn, and I've had a great time chatting. Um, if you would like to support the podcast, you can do so via Patreon. Um, it's also a place that you can get involved in my Jazz Violin Practice Club, which is that little place that we hang out every month, uh, sorry, every week, and uh, work on different techniques for improvising jazz on the violin. Uh, it's good for any style, sort of anybody really who's uh, <coughs> needing a little bit of practice motivation. It's more practice motivation than workshops. We're sort of playing together, practicing these little things together, etc., etc. Anyway, if you want to have a look at that or just support the podcast in general, go to Patreon, Matt Holborn. No, it's www.patreon.com forward slash Matt Holborn. Blah, 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 blah. Hey. Hope things are going well for you. Things are going a bit better over here now. Things are a bit sunnier here in the UK, which is quite nice. Gigs are starting to appear. I'm starting to get involved in some more projects, starting to work on some of my own projects. Some exciting stuff in the pipeline for me, actually. Exciting for me, anyway. I'm excited. Maybe you will be too when I tell you about it fully later. But anyway, I'll see you soon. Goodbye.